Right then, welcome or welcome back to the Midnight Podcast, where we have super in-depth, authentic, super transparent, open conversations with an array of different entrepreneurs from many different industries. I really want to make this a podcast known for going super in-depth on loads of topics that other podcasts are scared to speak about. I feel like most stuff out there these days is just super surface level, super vanilla, and doesn't really answer the questions that viewers and listeners want to hear. So that's what we're trying to do. Keep it real and keep it raw. I'm sure you'll get a huge amount of value listening or watching the pod wherever you are and if you do don't forget to subscribe recommend it to a friend leave a like and a comment and just let us know what you think and yeah really hope you enjoy this episode Right then, back with another episode of the Midnight Pod. I think one episode, like 40 at this point. Um, it's getting quite mad. We've just hired an editor and, and, and an assistant for the pod. I was just saying, shit's getting real. We have Charlie and Jack from Purdy and Fig on the pod. And we spent like half an hour just off camera as usual chatting. And for once we're on gin instead of red wine today, even though it's a Wednesday. About your story and I'm getting little bits of it. Like we, we only very briefly like internet met on Twitter, like what? three days ago or something mm-hmm. and I was like fuck I need an episode this week it sounds like a good one because I'd seen your brand but I'd never seen you and that's the magic of Twitter which mm-hmm. I've realised I think you're starting to realise as well yeah you said you only just joined it even though your head your headshot on Twitter is like a fucking avatar so I was trying to work out is, it, is this guy real or not <laughs> same on LinkedIn yeah but um, yeah I guess first question we'll dive into a billion things as usual there's never any like actual agenda to it like what's the story with the brand how did it get started and I guess maybe a bit of background, like what you were doing before. And then there's probably loads of different ways we can look at this and go into the whole story because it's an interesting one. Sure. Yeah. Jack, you can kick it off. Yeah, go ahead, mate. Um, so Purdy and Fig make, we well, we make, manufacture and sell online um, refillable, natural, non-toxic cleaning products for the home. So uh, it's a liquid concentrate, about 20 mil. Um, you pour it into your bottle for life. You had tap water at home, and you've got your multi-surface cleaner spray. Um, so it's kind of a product you use every day. Um, big, big market, and there's all sorts of obviously other categories that we'll be going into in the future. But kind of at the moment, that's our main product line is yeah. our multi-surface cleaner. Um, Perlin Fig. Uh, been trading about two years. We kind of kicked off during the pandemic but we'd actually been kind of working on the products for about three years before that um yeah. so yes it's been about five years of of work yeah to date um but i think it's culminated in in a really exciting launch of the cleaning products which was in january and we've grown from basically nothing in terms of cleaning revenue to, to about two hundred thousand a month now within four and a half months so yeah, it's been it's been it's been that's been exciting. Yeah. I think obviously we hadn't put the work in. For so you weren't years. selling for the eighteen months. No, prior we, to that, not cleaning all. not cleaning products. No, we had a hand sanitizer which we launched oh, in, okay. in Feb twenty twenty, which we, we've got a story about we can go into. But we were selling that. We got hooked on the crack cocaine of hand sanitizer for a year, yeah, and know, then we finally got round to to launching the, the cleaning cables. products. Which so from a base of zero in terms of 
that product line's revenue from zero to 200,000. Were the cleaning products always the plan? Yes. Yeah. Very much so. And the hand sanitizer was like... How did two young guys get into cleaning products? So our mum was making, um, our mum was making cleaning products in the garage with her friend. Yeah. Um, And she was like teaching, they were just natural products making from like bicarb, vinegar, citric acid, that kind of thing. And she was just teaching her friends how to make it in like workshops, just very casually. And then we noticed like these friends would be driving like an hour on the weekend to come pick up more cleaner. And we were like, why are they doing this? Um, mm-hmm. And it turned out like the, the, these products, even though they're quite simple, um, they use essential oils, they smelt really good and they were non-toxic. So they didn't have a whole bunch of like synthetic fragrance, uh, chemicals, chemical surfactants in them that most cleaning products have. Um, so we're like, oh, that's, that's really cool. Like there's something really exciting here. Like people were coming to workshops. Um, and so we kind of chatted about helping out and launching the brand with them. And then, um, and then, yeah, basically the hand sanitizer opportunity. It was like February at the beginning of COVID, if you can remember back to then. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah, it's gone so quick. And um, yeah, like we were like, we had this hand sanitizer that was really good, came out of the workshops that our mum was running. And we were like, why don't we just make that? It's super easy to make. We're like six months off launching the cleaners anyway. So let's like make that and sell it and we can build a brand a bit, get some revenue, get some customers and launch the cleaning products to those customers. Yeah. So we were like, let's try and get hold of some alcohol. And Charlie, like Charlie's always been a hustler. Like he managed to hustle like a thousand liters of alcohol just from a whole bunch of suppliers. Um, like siphoning off like little bits of Ineos's like million litre orders yeah. um, just like getting a, lit- a thousand litres here or whatever uh, a hun- like hundred litres here hundred litres there and we managed to get enough to make our first batch like 10,000 units and we sold them within like five days like we had an order from this like company in Australia it was like yeah we want 10,000 units at like four pound a unit and we were like holy shit <laughs> Yeah. We've got we like this is we're gonna ride this way, baby. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, yeah. So then we basically bought a sh- like a lot more alcohol with the money. Was that purely B two B? You know, like online. No, shop? we had we launched the site and we, like had family and friends buy, but we hadn't like built a proper acquisition engine yet. Yeah. So it was just a few B two B orders and yeah, go on. No, I just remember there was two moments. There was one I was standing in. He had to get everything delivered somewhere. And yeah. I was like, I have nowhere to get it. Like, we're having like huge tankards of stuff being delivered, bottles, pallets. To like, home. And I was like, I have no, so we got them delivered anyway. I'm standing in the, um, in the like, where the cars are parked. And then we had to buy another 20,000 bottles. And I was like, never bought that many bottles before. And I was called up, I was called up Jim. I was like, Jim, I don't know whether to buy these 20,000 bottles. Like, it's like half our capital. And like, what if we can't <laughs> yeah. sell the product? And he was like, mate, if it's ever going to be a time, like it's now. We'd sold those bottles within three days. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was also insane. The, we had like deliveries at the beginning where we were like making the product overnight in the garage, like all night. Because you're making it yourself. Yeah, like ca- filling with a Chinese filling machine. Like proper like documenting, labeling, yeah. yeah. And then we'd make like a thousand units and we'd deliver it to a pharmacy and be like five grand. And we once delivered it to this pharmacy and they were all leaking like when they arrived because we made them overnight and we were quite tired like we hadn't screwed did these them. smell nice by the way yeah they smell really good they're really good product oh, okay. yeah, like, yeah. people love the product we won an right? award we won like best hand sanitizer in the yeah, UK yeah ITV award oh yeah. shit yeah 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 like we went on ITV we went on BBC News like because we sold a million we ended up selling a million units of hand sanitizer in like 
eight months. Fucking hell. <laughs> so but that, that, this is all the beginning of the story where like we were like capping it and we're delivering it and it was like leaking. And the pharmacy was like, have you guys been up all night like making this? And we were like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, right, okay. Still took it. Still took it because it was that low, like that low on... We were getting 11x ROAS on Google. Yeah, yeah. Like a pound. And then... Oh, and Facebook. And then no, like, Facebook was more. Facebook was like 75p cost per purchase. <laughs> average order by 17 pounds. Yeah. We were like... This is insane. Holy shit. And then, but then basically Facebook like blocked hand sanitizer. You couldn't sell it. Shopify shuts down. But this 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 product was fucking good, right? So yeah. when a product is that good, and it really was at the time when there wasn't a lot of hand sanitizer out there, and this was like a nice smelling um, spray. Ha- spray, and everyone was doing these horrible gels, and we oh, were it was like, a spray. It was a yeah, spray. much better. And this is before sprays were even a thing. Yeah. So we just had this traction from like PR mm, and like Indian Night, which is this massive Sunday Times journalist wrote an article about us. We did like 75K in one day. It was, it was the same brand name, by the way, at this point. Mm, yeah. So Purdy and Fee. All the same brand mm, name. Yeah. So we built this like over some PR stories and then some like, you know, good, good, some good marketing, like built, built the direct consumer operation, built the supply chain. And like that business ended up doing, yeah, a, a lot of units and um, but we didn't make any money <laughs> no not really not really but well, we made a lot of mistakes wasn't there we mm. made a lot of mistakes yeah with the margin yeah so like what you learn about direct consumer when you first start it's like your margin product margin's great and you're like 75% yeah. we're laughing and then when you like start actually working with a fulfillment centre you've got pick pack fees um You've got like the cost of managing so many SKUs because we ended up building three cents and then we had yeah. different, we had refills. You had 20 mil, 50 mil, 250 mil. We had all these different things. We built a whole business around hand sanitizer, yeah. which wasn't the plan at all. The plan was like, let's uh, sell a few bottles, make some cash. Yeah. Not, we, yeah. So build a whole just business. going back to get Sorry, the timeline yeah. in my head. Go on, go so on. the three years prior to the hand sanitizers, was that, mm. you said that was like time you spent before you launched anything? Yes. What was that time to spend on? Was that you you involved or just your mum still? Or that was mum and Charlotte, who's her, her partner, who, Charlotte Fig, who yeah. the company's named after, who... Oh, right. I'm I'm still a, I was going to say, yeah. I thought it'd be like pets or something. No, two no, cats. they're two people. Yeah, two people. <laughs> so Purdy and Charlotte are uh, both absolutely critical to what we're doing now as well. Right. Um, they're very much, very much a cool mm. part of what we're doing still. Um, we'll work together. Oh, it's um, starting to make sense now. Okay. So Purdy and Charlotte were running, basically running these workshops, teaching people about natural cleaning for a few years before we got involved. We were kind of about, we were sort of say, oh yeah, we like the smell of this. We yeah. like that. We come to some workshops, learning a bit about the market. But we had other businesses. I was running a classic car auction platform and community, which is now based in LA, which is, is growing really well, growing really nicely. Jack was in grocery delivery back in 2015, 2015 before oh, like anyone yeah, yeah, way before like, way like before. three years four years before. well yeah about the same time I, guess, I think actually 2016 yeah, I called it and we were like 15 minute delivery before 15 minute delivery was a thing oh you, you founded it yeah yeah raised, like, have, raised like there's a, so many mini stories <laughs> to this story now yeah raised a lot of money Tell yeah we both that. raised money for it and, and built these built these tech companies yeah so we kind of we weren't we, yeah, we were on the sides of what mum and Charlotte were doing thing. and then we for various reasons both personally and career wise was like let's join forces and launch Purdy and Fig together yeah right and, and yeah. that's that was like October 2019 yeah not foreseeing the shit show from Feb 2020 that was gonna yeah so I quit my job world. I'd like quit my job 
Charlie had left his, left what he was doing. Mm. We were like in we were in Purdy and Fig. So at that point, when we couldn't launch the like the cleaners were a bit difficult to launch. Yeah, that's how the hand sanitizer came into it. So going back, I try and be chronological to an extent. Yeah, it's hard. At least in my head, because um, I'm OCD. Before all that, then, so you, you, you had the textiles, etc. Did, did you go to uni? What was the story there? Just like going back to like eighteen onwards. Yeah, um, I went to uni, left school, went to uni, and I had a Indian tent business at uni. So fucking hell, that's um, niche. We, <laughs> I would import canvas marquees from Rajasthan that were printed with like these beautiful blocks. They were sick. They were sick. Block printed designs and sell them to people with big gardens and rent rent them out as well. And did that in the summers and from my desk at uni and spent most of the end of my terms out in India trying to get stuff made and having friends hand in essays and being like, this is way better than uni. <laughs> yeah. And like, why am I actually uni again? Doing, um, doing philosophy. Then, yeah, just studying philosophy. Did you um, finish it? Yeah, I finished it, it, finished it, finished it. Yeah. Um, studying philosophy and then I went to work for a bank for the summer afterwards and that was not me, not my cup of tea. So um, I actually then went to live in China for a year. Fucking hell. Um, this is a colourful story already, which I love this. Which was really an amazing place to, to live and amazing country, a really interesting place. Yeah, Mandarin. And, and, a, and a, show, a show was filmed about Charlie in China by the Chinese National State Television Channel. That sounds like someone <laughs> um, going disappearing. Yeah, and they filmed a show <laughs> about a, called A Foreigner Abroad. And it was about Charlie travelling around China as like this 20-year-old who spoke like limited Mandarin. Yeah. And like this show has like got like tens of millions of views on YouTube. And, Fucking like, hell. That's uh, that's in China. Funny. That's funny. Yeah, that was funny. Um, and then um, you worked for an investor um, in London, kind of making seed investments with him, helping manage his portfolio. He's involved in Purdy and Fig. And then I launched Classic, which is the community and auction platform with a friend called David and then Pudding Pig. Yeah. yeah. And that was like a million million member community of classic car yeah. So why are you not still involved in that? Or, or what happened? Well, there? it's a good question. I mean, um, Dave, if Dave listens to this podcast, I'll probably laugh, but because well, I always blame my girlfriend. I blame my girlfriend who, we've now bought a house together and I always say, oh, if, if only, I, you know, you made me, you made me stay. I, <laughs> I say, as in, I would have yeah. gone to LA because the business is an American community. So right. Dave moved to LA and was and I basically didn't move to LA, and the business was not going to function as it needed with a co-founder from London. He's still on the board and stuff. So. Still involved in the company, but I'm yeah. not day to day. But the company's gone from strength to strength, so they're they're amazing. They've sold uh, five million dollars worth of classic cars in the last few months, and they're they're scaling now. So yeah, it's really exciting yeah. for them too. So how about you? Um, so. Uh, very interesting Not backgrounds. Dissimilar. I mean, I um, I had like an e-commerce company when I was like thirteen, so selling selling tea online. Yeah. Try import from China, like one of those classic things you mm-hmm. just build from your bedroom, and that actually did quite well. Um, but eventually we got shut down by um, we got shut down and sued, threatened to be sued by Google when I was like fourteen. Yeah. And I was like that. That was quite stressful because. Um, I was like getting we had like AdSense remember AdSense yeah, yeah, yeah 
and at school, I was getting all my mates like click on the ads on AdSense, and I was making click quite fraud. a lot of money from it. it was like 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 classic, yeah, like Just low hustling. level fraud. Yeah, and Google, I like, sent this email being like, "You owe us like seven hundred quid, and we're suing you." And I was like, "Shit!" So <laughs> shut that one down. Um, and then I had a second uh, business at uni, which was a um, business called Carvertise. So we paid students to have adverts in their car. I see. Um, which which was cool. Um, did that at uni for a couple of years, and then left uni and launched. Uh, well, I, I joined a man- management consultancy uh, like Charlie, and just didn't really like bank management consultancy. Same kind of thing. Didn't really love it, um, and met a guy at the firm. I was working at and launched Ping with him, um, which was our 15 minute delivery grocery app, which we kind of raised lots of money for. Launched it at my university, then in London. Um, and like, yeah, did well, but it was just like pretty early in the space. Mm. Like, um, wasn't as much, like, nowhere near as much money going into it. Um, quite an expensive model where you have to invest a lot in customer acquisition up front and basically just didn't have the experience or the cash. <laughs> like build it in the way it should have been built yeah and then and like if i it's a shame because it's like if if i did then uh we would have built like an incredible business um but i guess you don't have the experience you don't have yeah like, could have been the early get era gorillas or right well, like, literally there's so many been. now i don't even know well, i was like i was like 19 and yeah, 1920 and you just don't actually know what you're doing at that age really like you're kind of very true you're kind of trying to work it out but you don't actually have the experience or the critical thinking, I don't think, to like work through the problems in front of Fundamentally, you. Fundamentally, those businesses, whichever way you look at them, need in, in a lot of capital investment. Yeah. And you've also got to go out and raise that money. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's also hard for a young person yeah. to go out and raise 50, 100 million quid, which is what well, we need. You know, it's an idea. Like, unless, unless it's a code, it's, it's a tech business and you're a coder, you're yeah. a genius coder, and it's like, okay, fine. But. So um, I left. I left that business before I kind of saw it was never going to work, and I left. Um, I had this job offer from a firm that, uh, like a venture capital firm that we had been like built a relationship, built a relationship with, yeah. and so they offered me this job investing in seed stage companies, and I was like, I don't think this is going to work. I said to my co-founder, like, I really just don't think it's going to work. Um, I jumped, so I left and, and joined that firm, but. Uh, the business went on for like two years and struggled for two years and never really yeah. made it. Um, and then, yeah, Paddy and Fig. Fucking hell. Yo, fellas, quick one. First bit of promo for the pod. You may or may not have heard, I released a fucking e-com course a few months ago. Basically spent like six months making it because I was in between businesses, as you probably know, if you follow my shit. I must say, 12 hours long, it's fucking quality content. I was going to drop it at like 1500 quid with some bullshit guru-y webinar and all that rubbish but as you know it's not my main thing I'm working on a new brand right now very very fucking much in the trenches which is why I think it's actually a better course than everything else out there because it's built on real experience of my brands in the past and my current one I think it's super super valuable if you're interested in e-com you're already in e-com and you want it to get into e-com zero to one starting a brand from scratch then definitely worth investing in link is in the bio of this video or podcast Spotify Apple Music wherever the fuck you're listening or watching and enjoy the rest of the pod we're brothers though so we always said we were going to you know, want to do some businesses together. Yeah. And then well, we're we going to build an empire together, yeah. yeah. Who's older? <laughs> I'm older. What's the age difference? Um, the age difference is five years. I was going to make a joke Charlie, about being he's lots th- old around the he's waist. He's 31, yeah. I'm 26. I'm 26 as well. I feel fucking old. 
Christ, I've got a twin brother, but we're, but we're nothing alike. So I can't relate to going into business with my brother. <laughs> yeah, we're not identical, but I, I doubt he even watches this. To be honest, so yeah, no. yeah it's, it's we're very lucky. I, think, I always so. take the piss out of him for being thirty-one. <laughs> like, yeah, you're thirty-two in October, mate. I'm like, it'll come fast for you. Trust me. That period, twenty-eight to thirty-one, goes so fast. I think the same about you know 22, 22 to 26 26 yeah. and like I think it gets quicker as you get older my parents used to say that but also with Covid yeah fuck Covid's such a shame two years like two, that two years of Covid's gone real real quick yeah agreed yeah honestly thinking back two years a lot has changed yeah like so much it's probably for everyone so but, what do you think's gonna I mean slightly off topic but yeah. what do you think's gonna happen to like you have the Covid boom in in terms of e-commerce and direct to consumer, mm. do you think um, like obviously retail percentage of retail to e-commerce like staying pretty flat now? Do you think it's gonna kind of stick it where it's at, keep rising? What do you think the post-COVID like e-com situation is? Yeah, it's interesting because in 2020 I was running two e-com brands and it was definitely the COVID boom. And all my mates were running e-com brands. Like I could see it. I had like my biggest ever month. Like yeah. almost exactly two years ago, like May, May, June, 2020. Oh, and then, started, then yeah. Neon Beach went fucking wrong and that's, that's history. But I think, I think a lot of people that haven't built, like kind of what we were saying off camera, haven't built like legitimately good operations that like all the drop shippers and TikTok people that, and plant, some of which have been on this podcast, a lot of them on Twitter who, and maybe less experienced like I was when I was 21 drop shipping with mad numbers you know, not not saving money not investing in Ethereum all this shit <laughs> I think good brands will continue to grow because ultimately it's irrelevant whether it's e-commerce or retail it's ultimately just the brand and you know you happen to be e-com focused because that's where your customers are if, yeah. if that's where they are if they weren't there you go somewhere else so like, I find it funny when people say like this dog's being crazy <laughs> People will say on Twitter, um, like, I do e-com. Like, and I, I'm always like, no, I don't even like saying I do e-com. It's like, I call myself like a brand builder. Yeah. Now. It's just, e I used to say that, like e-com, because it's kind of like when you're getting started, it's like the buzzword or whatever, everyone wants to be an e-com. Shopify, like, I do Shopify. Like, what the <laughs> fuck what do you, what you mean? Like, that's just the platform that you happen to sell your shit on. Yeah. Like, ultimately, you're building a business. It just happens to be in the e-com space. So if it's a good business, a good product, a good experience which proper brands are, then, yeah. I, then I think it's do, fine. Do you, do you ever think about the sort of Unilever of the future in the D2C space and what that looks like? You know, who? Yeah, who's going to be the next big, like, disruptive... Conglomerate. Yeah, and, and what's, their, what's their strategy? Well, I mean, you look at something like the Hook Group. Yeah. And their market cap's gone from 8 billion to less than a billion in the past year or something. Yeah. So along with a lot things of, like that, along a lot of public, yeah, uh, it's the same story, all that sort of shit. Yeah, I think the next Unilever. I mean, I think you know, I would like to sell my brand to Unilever in three years for five hundred million quid when they realise that psychedelics are the next big yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I don't know if big groups like that will continue to be the big group that buys out all the up and coming trendy brands or if someone's going to go and build the next big group yeah. well because right now at Purdy and Fig we run our own manufacturing in house mm. we're about to bring our fulfilment in house yeah so we're basically our supply chain is UK based controlled in house um, you know the stock that we purchase like nothing so um, what I'm trying to say 
that that's a that's a very scalable foundation to run five six seven eight nine ten twenty brands from because you actually own the means of production you actually own the infrastructure that services yeah. the brands you're never paying for someone else to, to do the stuff that your brand needs to do to to, to like fulfill customers yeah and so but and also the bigger that factory gets the more moment. the bigger that factory gets the more efficient it becomes um and the better economies of scale you get so like I, we, you know, I think we're quite keen on, as a strategy for growth, longer term, not just like sales growth, like empire growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually building the infrastructure that you need to scale e-com brands, well, not the, just, take, the not thing just we, digitally. The thing we realized when we were doing the hands down and when we had the margin issues was that the, your margin actually builds your business. Like yeah, in, a, in a, like if you've got a high margin, it's when you have low margin months and you you trade like a hundred thousand and you you're like I've got thirty k from that let's say low margin month like well if yeah like you can't make money you actually really can't make money doing that really hard to make money doing that direct to consumer especially um, and if you can build those margins and focus on well that's what Charlie's whole focus is but focus on those efficiencies and that supply chain it's so powerful because that that's all basically um net contribution you can use on marketing at the end of the day pour that into growth yeah i mean there's an interesting debate about like in-house stuff and like outsourced like for example i was having like a debate with someone on twitter the other day it's always fucking twitter now. and i've never i've always used th- third-party warehouses 3pls mm-hmm. and that's what I'm doing now and can't, I can't see that changing because in my mind the shit I should focus on is nothing to do with that I should benefit from the economies of scale of a big fulfillment expert that knows all that shit nor do I want to do that shit because I want to yeah. focus on fucking ramping the shit out of the, out of the sales yeah, which is what I'm sure. good at but yeah it's interesting I wonder like when at what point does if and does that make the business more valuable if it's all in house especially like manufacturing like fucking hell like, are you literally you're talking like tubs of fucking liquid yeah we do all our own um, buying of ingredients we store them we mix them we've got a, we've got like a like a ten, 10 foot long automated filling machine labelling cabinet yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah semi-automated like two people operated and we fill about 10 we can fill up to 10,000 bottles a day fill at the moment like 2 to 5,000 a day and yeah we do all of that and then we pack our own boxes for our e-com deliveries as well um so we really have a full end-to-end operation in-house already. We're just adding the courier collection on at the end soon, which is historically we haven't done because last mile and like customer delivery is so important. Yeah. So having yeah. a really sort of smooth operation as regards to customer gets their order within 24 hours of delivery, you know, Amazon built the whole business effectively off that. Yeah. You know, in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the whole brand anyway. Um, and our our 3PL was like seriously fast. So we would get like orders delivered, like yeah, literally twenty four hours after people. You're currently using three PO. Yeah, are, yeah, yeah. 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 For just the last mile. It's the last bit we're using synergy. Oh no, synergy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, my mate, my mate uses them. I spoke to Gary before. Nice. Yeah, small world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're good. They're, they're, I've never they're, used them. Who's your mate that uses them? I think trying to think if I can't say uh, Fred from Sanucci. Oh yeah, oh. we know Fred. We did some. That's funny. We you know did Fred. Jewelry. He's like one of my best mates. Is he? Shut up. We built. Um, I, I lived with him for two and a half years. You joking? We built a whole thing for them. Tech thing. For, for, for such a small world. For synergy. You probably watch as this. like an interface. Because he used to use James and James, who I used to use, 
who I'm, by the way, now switching to as of this week because I launched with another 3PO that's fucked up massively. They yeah. don't know yet. Um, <laughs> they will know now. They will know by the time <laughs> this comes out. This. Wait, you know Fred? Yeah. Like you've met him? Yeah, he was on Zoom. On Zoom, had a couple story. of chats on Zoom because we built a tech, tech interface for them between their Shopify store and Synergy. Yeah, he's to doing, help he's pick, doing the, help pick the products, yeah. the bundles. It was like a bundle builder. Yeah, um, which is I, now an app that we have a Shopify app. Yeah, I think they replaced it. Actually, I don't think in the end it worked that well for them. From what Shashi told me, because they replaced it. I'm so mad. Uh, yeah, you met. And I remember they 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 smashed it. They absolutely killed it. Yeah, as far as a year ago. Yeah, can't, I'm not going to comment on the numbers on it, but they are big. Yeah, yeah. We talk now. He's he's yet to come on the podcast. He's been a highly requested guest. We, we spent two and a half years living together in the trenches. Then he got really rich and my business went bankrupt. <laughs> and he had like a cool He's an investor in my thing now. Is he? Is he? Yeah. Nice. So is Ollie actually. So is Ollie? Ollie and Joe. Yeah. So I got a load of my mates to invest in my thing. Oh, that's smart. That's smart. Yeah. That's funny. Um, Such a small world, this D2C world. community. It is, isn't it? I mean... Like everyone in this fucking community watches this pod. I swear. That's so and they're all going to be on it. Yeah. Yeah, the bundle app was quite funny because it was like we were having this issue of you know you're not selling any bundles yet, but like it's quite difficult for the fulfillment center to read the orders from Shopify. Yeah, when you've got like lots of different SKUs put in, put together, picked on on tap. So we built this app that like made it really simple for the, the fulfillment center to read, which they used, and a few other people used as well. So, why, just briefly on that then, why would you move from Synergy to doing it in-house? Like, is it is it purely a margin thing? Money, yeah. So just, yeah, I mean, three PLs are... Well, we can dive yeah. into it. I mean, basically, our our business is low AOV, high LTV. And so, our, our orders, our, our fulfillment fees are quite a high percentage of our order. So, like, most, com- most good companies will have 6 or 7% fulfillment fees, right? Fulfillment delivery. At least, in my well, maybe I'm getting yeah. ripped off. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, yeah I mean, ours, a ours good are, target to get to is like six or seven percent. Ours yeah. is like twenty, twenty-two percent or something because because we're low AOV and we're subscription. Oh, okay. And yeah, so, I was going to say, if you're six percent, that's mad. Yeah, no, we're twenty-two percent right now. Yeah. So yeah, we can okay. shave. We can shave a pound off per order, which is ten like ten percent margin. Yeah, like gross margin. Or is it ten percent? Yeah, ten yeah, percent gross margin. Like that's big for us. Yeah. So, the whole the whole factory came about because we couldn't like physically make the products any other way because every cleaning manufacturer we spoke to were like we will not use these ingredients these are cosmetic ingredients they do not work in our machines we refuse to do it and we were like right how are we going to do that let's buy a filling line and so that's kind of how it came about yeah sick <laughs> I mean it, that it, was it, legit, it, isn't it it's come about very organically yeah it was it's just like we need to buy a filling line alright can we find 20 grand well yeah. actually even taking a step back further than that it was in the hand sanitizer days, we were told about three days before we were going in the Sunday Times. We were like, you're going in India night. She makes a specific point, please don't be out of stock because yeah. her readers get pissed off if they try and buy the product. And you're like, it's a nice with. problem. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's cool. Like, we've got a couple thousand bottles. Like, it's not, how big is it going to be? It's Sunday Times. It was like, article came out online at 12 o'clock at night. <clears throat> I think by like 12.15, we'd sold out. <laughs> it was ridiculous I've never seen anything like it we were like okay, okay, we were like okay so we haven't got enough product obviously can't turn off Shopify store anyway so we had a, um, a sh- delivery of a finished product from a filler in Liverpool coming in because it's cheap to get stuff filled up in Liverpool and they were like oh sorry mate 
Dettol have come in or some big clients come in and we're like, it's going to be a couple of weeks. I was like, I haven't got a couple of weeks. <laughs> I already owe like 20,000 bottles right now. Oh, so you let people pre-order effectively. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, just, yeah we're just yeah, like, definitely. we're going to be we're five like, days we'll late. We'll take the orders, we'll get, we'll get it fucking done. Yeah. So what do we end up doing? I Four said, days I, in the I said, ship me, I said, ship me all the liquid. I just said, ship me all the liquid. I bought a hundred pound filling machine off Amazon. <laughs> And I called like four people and was like, I need you. I and need me, you Charlie, waters. these four people spent like literally four days in a garage, I'd say 17 hours a day, Fresh, just yeah. filling Churning bottles. Churning it out. And filling it, bottles every second of every day. I found, like, a, I found a video the other day. Um, it was that's so, some, that's it was some future that. documentary shit. Yeah, that's it great. Nice. It was and, nice. then, and then Jack, not this Jack, another Jack, who's one of the guys that was for there for that experience. One of those four guys, yeah. He's now our production manager in the factory he, he, he was that, like that was his job interview yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. The, those four days how long can you stay like, well, we how sitting, late can you we stay? were sitting around doing it we were like this actually like we can so do this guys and it's quite fun yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, then, so then we bought a filling line well anyway then we tried to get the clean products made in certain ways that wouldn't do it so we were like well let's just do ourselves so then we built the packing team because we realised the 3PL we got lower fees if we put everything in the box first rather than them putting everything in the box because you're paying for their time because so a, a, start, a starter yeah. kit comes with like three refills a bottle for life a cloth thing in a box like yeah. you so then put, once you get that operation pumping you realise the extra money you're paying to literally put a label on a box is silly money to be spending you could easily do that yourself so that's what we're now finding, but it's very, very important. So all the processes around it and all the kind of career collections and the accounts, yeah. they have to all be in order. So it's like a completely an operational ex- piece of execution. So it's like, we're kind of ready now where we can scale and do the same th- that at the same time. So that's the kind of the final piece of the jigsaw that's coming in. Yeah. And then we'll basically own our own supply chain, which is, yeah, which is, awesome. which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Do you think coming from, it's, it's quite like, it's obviously a pretty stark contrast from having like, selling yourself to like the corporate world potentially which a lot of people I nearly did that I did work experience in M&A wearing a suit in Mayfair yeah, when I was 19 yeah, and I was like fuck that never again but then then you obviously went into like somewhere in between which is like a different sort of startup where you raise a load of money but don't necessarily make any money ever until you get acquired <laughs> yep. or you die and now obviously you're building a fucking solid e-com, e-com business like why did you decide to commit to this like, were there other opportunities like outside e-com also in e-com but you decided fuck it we're going to go into like cleaning stuff that smells really fucking good aimed at middle-aged women mm-hmm. it's a great story it's a great question I was thinking about it well it all started because me and Charlie sat down at a pub over Christmas and we were having a drink and we were like I was hating VC I was like I was hating I was like all these pictures I was seeing like 20 pictures a day like coming through my email and then like seeing yeah. through pictures of founders and I was like I, I just want to be on that side I don't want to be on this side I want to be on that side like what yeah, am I doing yeah, yeah. I'm like 20 I'm like 23 like get me on that side and we I said this to Charlie over, and we're like okay we're going to do something like if we join forces with the way we like talk about things we just think we're going to be able to solve any problem like it'll be sick so let's just do it so that decision was made wasn't it we were like we're going to do something and then like our mum, who's like insane, like she's an incredible person who has always been so ahead of her time on every trend you can imagine. She was like doing it 10 years before. I can't even tell you. 
and she had these products and we were like they're so good we know they're so good and we knew that a great product was a foundation for everything so yeah. you don't have an opportunity to launch a business where the product like you can read our reviews like there's four and a half thousand five star yeah, reviews yeah I saw that it's impressive it's like, there's a lot and people love the product like 90% of people stay on subscriptions like they love the product and it's because it's a fucking good product and we could see that and we were like that's and I, we cared about the thing because it was our mums and we were like it just makes sense uh, unless, yeah, you, yeah, unless yeah, you have no, a different that's perspective right. that's right I think and then you know why is it set up like it is now we could set things up very differently if we chose if we wanted to um, I think the people the people are a big part of it as well you know you kind of you go with it's kind of enjoyable so yeah. you kind of build things around people as well you don't just build things around you know, we're not like robots where it's like oh you know not everything's a cost benefit analysis or yeah. well, I would yeah. say five percent here. It's, it can feel like that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean you've got to make money at the end of the day, but yeah. it's not just about that, is it? Yeah, like we jump on a call with my, our mum and her best friend and we're like, laundry next year, right? What we got what we got, like where are we at with it? And they'll brief it, they'll tell us and that's great, and they keep working on it. Yeah, on on the good product point, and I've got so many fucking questions now because so many areas. I, th- I think the problem with like the whole like e-com community which is more like dropships and stuff like I was kind of saying before which yeah. I used to be it's a great way to get started when you're like 19 or whatever but I think I think people fundamentally forget that yeah like the product needs to be good and like mm-hmm. I I didn't get that right in the past with when I first launched my jewellery brand for example which is probably something I never actually spoke about I launched it the product ended up being delivered to the 3PO it was like October 2018 and it wasn't what I thought it was. It was like way shit quality and I had to fucking cancel everything and start again like five months later, which was much better quality. But like, and then I guess with, with the fucking neon sign thing, the product was good, but then the customer, customer service was shit because shit was taking six weeks and then mm-hmm. eventually fucking 7,000 orders disappeared at 300 pound a piece. So that, that was a problem. Yeah. Oh my um, God. That's so, what happened, right? Yeah. Yeah, so like obviously... Yeah. Product is the first thing, but service as well. And I think, service yeah, as well. that's well, I'll never forget watching, um, 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 uh, I never know how to say his name, but Mose Ali. Mose Ali, yeah, Ali, yeah. Native, yeah. Um, and in an interview where he, he said he launched Native and the repeat rate was 30%. And he had his, like his AOV, he had a CPA, like all that was set, but the repeat rate was 30%. He was like, it's good. Like that's a decent repeat mm. rate on page you go. Um, yeah, but not bad uh, over like let's say I don't know what the time frame was to be fair but then he went in and did another round of product development and he spoke to the customers learned about the product and solved the problems and then this V2 product had a 50% repeat rate and he said the economics of the business completely transformed from a 20 from a 30 to 50% lift you suddenly had so much more capital to put into growth. Your CPA targets can change. That opens up whole new channels for you. Like if you want to do direct mail or different advertising channels because your CPA targets increased, then that builds a whole marketing funnel. And it can be that simple. It's like small margins are going to make that difference. Um, And I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, I've got my product. The repeat repeat rate is the repeat rate and there's, there's not much I can do about it. But we found with the cleaners... Um, and the hand sanitizer both that if you talk to the customers find the problems and solve them it does like massively move the dial on that repeat rate yeah um, and it's <clears> definitely <throat> worth doing I don't think is it fundamentally a subscription business 
Mm. Yeah. Half yeah. our, half our that, own. That's how I've set this thing up. And, and I know, so how many yeah. people are buying? I, I saw that, and, and what's the subscription take-up rate? So, since launch, it's been 15%. 15%, yes. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, obviously, I was surprised that anyone was subscribing until because you can yeah. buy it one time, and then it's 20% cheaper on a subscription. Yeah. I'm already changing a lot with the subscription offer, because I want to test like quarterly billings people pay up front obviously yeah, yeah. all that sort of shit there's loads you could do with it but ultimately if someone subscribes at 40 quid a month roughly which, which yeah. is what it is for a year do you want is that, that your fucking that TV is like 500 quid you want subscribers yeah yeah 100% I, I want that to be like Huel or, or Athletic Greens are, are those um, subscribers coming on first order or are they coming having tried the product well it's only we only launched five weeks ago so first order first order yeah well, it's only this week we started to have rebills yeah. on subscription so so the ROAS blended has already gone up this week mm-hmm. noticeably yeah, granted so it's five weeks in we're only spending like a grand a day on ads because I'm limited on, on fucking stock Mate, that'll, but, be, that'll be so nice and that builds that's going to be so nice yeah, like so, when you have that repeat but that's the thing like, I'm already Pumped noticing it. like the product reviews have been like relievingly good because there's always a bit of like <laughs> I think the product's good but the market will fucking tell me yeah yeah there's been probably 5% of people have been like the most common complaint actually has been I don't think it works. Like, it's right. not making me fucking, I don't know, because part of the problem with branding it in that way is yeah, that yeah. you're, there's an element of people probably over expect that they think they're going to have a fucking trip almost. Mm. But it's like, sure. it's a legal product that's regulated. There's only so much you can feel. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, we, we it's get reviews good. now being like, um, my home's not transformed to a spa because that's our like headline yeah. on all our landing pages. We're like, you just get some sarcastic cunt that wants a refund, even though they love the product. And you're like, you're like, yeah, your home doesn't smell like it. Like Literally. your home's not transformed to a spa. Like there's a bit of kind there's of there's not a receptionist there. now in your fucking. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna get a massage, mate. Next yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Um, but it's it's so true because that's like the metric I'm looking at most is our, well and will be going forward is are people buying it again. Yeah, because then it becomes, especially with one skew for now, it's almost like a SaaS business, mm. but yeah. better because. I just think that my, my view on product is that um, the the best products make you. It sounds kind of really obvious. It's not actually very profound, but it's really true. It's that good products make you want to use them. They make you want to do the thing. If yeah. you've got a great pair of shoes, you want to put those shoes on. Yeah, you want to so walk. True. You want to go running. You want to walk around them. If you, if you, you know, you see our product from, well, this is what customers say, that's what I feel when I use our products, is I want to actually wipe the surface, I want to actually clean. I actually enjoy it. Yeah. And it's so simple. It's like the iPod made you, and this was the, this the book I'm, I'm looking at at the moment, which is from the guy who created the iPod with Steve Jobs. And he was like, it made you want to listen to music. It was like, that simple. And I just yeah. think there's something, it's really, really simple, but true and it applies to any product whether it's a piece of art whether it's a you know if it makes you enjoyable to do that thing you're going to use it you're going to like it you're going to want to buy it again yeah, um, and that's sure. like at the heart of it ultimately so there's no any anyone can can work on that you don't have to be like yeah. you don't need to go to uni you don't need to have exa- anyone can work on that well so many products are commoditized and like that's what we saw in cleaning like so many it, it goes down to like cost cutting and just getting the job done of the product and it completely loses any of the magic or yeah. like why do you actually everything you live your whole life trying to look for basically like nice experience and comfort and then yeah. you've got this horrible like Dettol cleaner that makes your home yeah. smell horrible and you're like you hate using it it's like it's like for an extra pound that experience could be so different and there are so many industries where that applies I think like so many consumer products where that applies 
It's just like supermarkets have completely changed the mindset of the product. And actually, for our, our category, it was the ad agencies in the 50s and 60s that made housewives feel like they had to make their homes like sparkling with anti-back bleach-based yeah. products. So after the war, they had this like massive industrial... The industrial yeah. revolution led to a lot of chemicals and petrochemicals being used in cleaning. And like, it's as simple as that. And that's what drove the, the innovation in cleaning and like the development of cleaning. And then you're like, hang on, why is everyone using products that are horrible? And I know we're going back to our product here, but... Yeah, it's yeah, all, it's all kind of part of the thinking, right? Um, I want to change topic briefly then, before, because there's so many different things I want to discuss. I want to come on to the whole fundraising thing. I mean, I don't know how much you want to or can talk about that, but we're going to dive into that because I have gone down that route with my new brand. I literally know it's just because on your LinkedIn, the fucking Crunchbase link, that you'd raise, you'd raise some money. When, why, and how did you do that? How did you get on Crunchbase? It was on Crunchbase. <laughs> was it, was it? it was on the LinkedIn page because I was looking at your company and employees and shit. Passive. <laughs> I'm on Crunchbase. You can put it on yourself. Yeah, can you? You can put on 100 million. Yeah. I think they might have to verify that. Yeah. But No, I don't think... Yeah. Um, Jack, when are you talk about fundraising? Yeah. Because you've obviously got... Yeah, well, we both from... Yeah, anyway. we both got experience. I mean, um, well, I guess... Yeah, we've raised a fair amount of money, actually. Um, probably what? What in our lives? Well, no, in this business. Yeah. Probably two couple million quid. Um, yeah. Probably a couple that. million quid. About that. Um, which is cool. Uh, investors are funny. I mean, we're... So we've had some bad experiences and like the wrong investor is a complete shit show. A complete and utter shit show because um, if they don't understand what you're doing and they don't understand like the fundamentals of how you're going to build your brand and how it costs money sometimes to do it at the beginning, yeah. then you can have like someone down your neck who's got actual control in your business. And when it comes down to it, can influence other investors, they can influence decisions through like voting and stuff. They can, so undermine, they can undermine your they, confidence. Und- yeah, massively undermine your confidence. So can, we, yeah. we were on a roll after Hansan and we wanted to push on and keep growing. And we had an investor who who really knocked our confidence, so I won't name, obviously. And, um, like, essentially... Were they on prior to Hans Hansan? They came in during the height... When we needed cash in Hansan, we we brought in some cash because we were, like... It was, like, ridiculous. And we were, like, we need, like, half a million? Half a million quid? And we brought in half a million quid, and he was the main guy. And that was behind that. And we met him pretty cold. We didn't really know him. And it wasn't a good fit. And at a time when we should have pushed on and we, if we'd done so, things would have been probably a lot further ahead than where we are now. Um, we pushed, we pulled back and we started like reducing spend, even though the fundamentals were good. We reduced spend, we reduced overhead, we cut back, we, we mm. changed our ambitions. And Why, that- when you just had cash injection? Well, we, we didn't have as, we had a slight margin issue which left us with slightly less cash than we thought we were going to have. Yeah. yeah. But it was more that the, the growth plan that we had kind of had people on board with thought we were going to be executing required more cash and we, we weren't then going to get that cash. In terms of getting that investor on though, were you selling them a vision on hand sanitizer? No, no cleaners. Or you still no. mentioned, you're still yeah, around yeah, the cleaning stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But we hadn't, had, we hadn't even developed them yet. It was still hand sanitizer. Yeah. Um, but but they also did invest in a business that was hands on. This was early on in COVID where we didn't know how long this thing would be going on for as well. Yeah. 
Um, so we've had that experience and then like the other side of it is we've now got investors who are on our board we've got a chairman um, we just great. we just closed around like to keep like to go much bigger um, and it's great like everyone's aligned um, you can invest everyone understands like unit economics of what you're doing and the investment required especially in subscription yeah so yeah. so it's great yeah so I did think- did you and eventually buy the original guy out or what? No, not yet. What we actually did was we, we, we managed to get a chain. He would never watched this, so it's fine. But he managed you to get... You'd have to, you, you have to speak about the details. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 That's fine. Anyway, the point um, in fundraising, I think generally is, yeah, it's really important to kind of, you know, do your DD on the person because it's very tempting. And I don't know who will be listening to this, you know, who hasn't raised money before. So I don't know how much, I mean, of how much interest it is to people, but... You do, you do your DD on an agency if they're going to work for you. Do your DD on a supplier. Like, it's really easy. It's actually way easier to take someone's money than you think into a business. Yeah. Mm. And like, you don't really think about. And I, I yeah, it's, I, I, you know, pretend, you know, I probably, I'll probably do it again. I'll probably make the same mistake that I'm doing right now. I'll do it again <laughs> because yeah. it is really hard when some, you know, when you, you want money and then to be like, oh, you kind of feel a bit pressure. So like, oh, but I don't, I'm not sure I really like you. Or I'm not really sure like you get it. Like. You're like fuck off. Just take the money and fucking get on with it. But at the same time, you've got to, you're getting married to that person effectively. So yeah, and they're part of your business, like an actual part. So all your investors to this point are they all angels? We got funds involved. P funds. We VC, got an angel. That. We got all angels and one fund that's closing shortly. Yeah, finishing DD, which should be fun. Yeah, cool. yeah. So we're just close. We're just closing around, which is a big part of the two million I mentioned. Um, which is all going to be coming in, right? And on, on the subscription side, then, because that's the convers- that's the plan I've had for, for my business, and, yeah. and it will probably be another conversation I have in a few months' time with my current investors, and we're already kind of talking about it because obviously the beauty of subscription is that the LTV is potentially massive. Yeah. But if your CAC's higher than your one-month payment, then you have a problem in the short term, basically. Correct. So how is that? how has that been for, for your business and, and how, how is it now and like in terms of just the basic economics of your situation yeah I'm happy to say I mean it's, it's really a thing we spent a lot of time on so um, well if you're if you're you've got to really look at it with a cold a cold heart in terms of the numbers because you're, you, it's easy to trick yourself when it comes to unit economics that it's better than it is. Yeah. So once you actually take out VAT and margin and all the costs associated with delivering that product, it's can, it can look very different to when, yeah. to when you kind of say this. kid yourself, right? Like any econ brand making 10% net, like actual yeah. net, is yeah. doing well. So, so looking at net contribution on an order is like really important and actually work out what the net contribution is um, from a customer after their first order and, the, and then after two months, three months and etc. So then the second thing you need to do is you need to actually measure how that works, how that plays out and get hard data on what your contribution margin, what your contribution over three and then six months really is. Yeah. And then you can form your CAC ceiling or your CAC target um, based on that. And I think that's, that's really, those steps are really important to go through. Um, and the general rule and, and what we've got an advisor who's built 100 million pounds worth of subscription businesses Naked Wines and 
uh, what else has he done? Love Film, oh, yeah. uh, Charles Terrett, not a subscription, but he like really built a lot of great businesses. Grays. Grays. And um, he's like six months, you want to be, you want to be like, that's the absolute limit for payback, net contribution yeah. payback. And three is great for a subscription. Um, and then if you can get to a year with half of your original subscribers, that, that half will basically stay with you for three years. Like you can predict they will stay with you for three years broadly. I mean, it might be different for different businesses. The churn, the churn, the churn will get, def- the churn curve yeah. will get really flat. And so at three, at three months, if you're breaking even great, at six, it's okay. It's going to be harder. And then you're going to have, if you can keep your subscribers and then three your churn curve flattens out, you're going to have a really good business. Um, and then you need to be targeting three to five X contribution margin on your CAC over that three years. Yeah. So that's like broadly the guidelines he set out for us, which was really helpful um, for us in doing a lot of our early unit economics work that we're, that we're proving out. Um, and then from a cash situation, it's really, really hard because if you're low AOV, especially like we are, you do need to have, well, theoretically, you need to have a fair amount of cash. Because yeah. if your RCPA, I don't mind sharing it, is 15, uh, blended is 15 pounds, yeah, it's cheap. Um, but the but the AOV is fifteen pounds. So it's, all uh, like, it's actually yeah. nineteen pounds. So yeah, that, you, that is low. Yeah, that is low to be fair. Yeah, no, it's good AOV, and the, we can dive into why it is a uh, good CPA. It's dive into why, but that's still you're still losing quite a lot of money. Mm. Like if you take into account VAT and mod and uh, fulfillment and delivery and everything. cost of goods and everything and creative production, it's it's um, you lose a fair amount of money. However, we know we break even on, on the second hit of the subscription. So yeah. that's after three months. So what we're now trying to plan for is, from a cash perspective, if you can finance the inventory and the marketing on a 90-day term, you can get your second hit on the subscription before you pay for the customer yeah. and before any cost associated to the customer. So your cash conversion is completely flipped and you're getting you're essentially breaking even on the customer for our model, which is great, 90 days. Uh, which is 90 days. Is it, is it quarterly billing model? Quarterly billing. Right. Uh, you're breaking even the customer and you've got the cash from the customer before you pay for the marketing spend. The way we're doing that is payment terms of Facebook, 30 days, and then a 60-day rolling credit on the spend, which we're doing through yeah. some like clear bank type stuff and there's other other ways. Credit cards. You can literally, Amex. it's as simple as using credit cards. Like Amex, yeah, is, yeah. Amex is 54 days. Yeah. Like unlimited spend. Sell my Amex for years. <laughs> the business one gives the, you the gold one more. is like yeah, it's great. So it's great. So uh, then, a bit of a ramble, but basically take those steps and then set some guidelines and be confident in your CPA target. Once you've got the data, be confident in it, and then drive for growth towards that target. Like this yeah. is my ceiling. I will spend the money if I can because that customer is going to make money in this much time. And then they're with me for three years. And what you what you might need up front a little bit of cash before because you've got to build your revenues to a size which the clear banks and wayflyers yeah. and parkers of this world. I spoke to pipes the other day. Pipe. Yeah, we're talking pipe. Yeah, I had a call with them yesterday actually, yeah. and they said Mudwater, one of their new clients. Mm. No way. They shouldn't have told me that, but no, they shouldn't. Just wheeze it out of them. But like, then they become meaningful. So you, you might need a bit of cash up front, but. 
I think, oh, well, you need cash to prove out the, the economics. You need six yeah. months of numbers, basically. Well, you need to sit in the numbers. Don't even have the conversation. Right. Yeah. So, um, also, you'll have with your suppliers, you'll probably have potentially no relationships with them, so you've got to build time to build them up and all that. Yeah. So, you need a bit of cash. But I think our learning is like, you don't need to fund e-com D2C companies, even at scale, with equity, fund, with equity diluted funding. You don't actually need to do it. No. And... You really don't. We, we haven't even fully worked through all the debt options. But yeah, because of shit like Wayflyer, Pipe, Clearbank. Yeah, yeah, massive part yeah. of it. Well, no, yeah, it, and it, just it, working on like working on supplier terms and working on that side of things, which is the boring, like not the not as yeah, it's like, not sexy, right? It's not sexy, but if it means you can grow yeah, at the scale counts. you want, get the stock in, not go out of stock, and not get, dilute your equity stake, great. I was having this exact same conversation with my supplier today because I want to put an order for fifteen thousand units in. I'm already five weeks in, but that's like half a bank account. So I just yeah, said to him, look, exactly. I'm going to be your biggest fucking client in 12 months. You know it. Nice. So, yeah, and they were wanting 80% up front first. So now we're down at 50%. That's and good. I'm, now I'm trying to get the unit price down and they haven't fucking replied yeah, to me. That's good. Nice. Just, but, but I've done this shit before. So yeah, you have to pull every string where you can. I think and it's about getting people on the it's side. Not, like the, the thing is you've done that. You've done these businesses before and every, when you do them, you learn all these things. Yeah. I always think, it's uh, it's really unbelievable how much like learning is built on each other and like 100%. every single thing you do is like okay those are three lessons and especially from Pinga I've got like I referred we referred to our previous businesses all the time like yeah just like oh yeah remember that okay don't do that again so based on what you just said about not needing equity funding yeah why did you go down the equity funding route because my argument to that yeah, people have said it to me as well and my argument was uh, it wasn't actually about the money I didn't really need the money to get started at least, maybe to scale mm-hmm. like in six months, whatever. But for me, it was, I actually, because of the shit that had happened in the previous business, I wanted to have people with experience on side. And it was also part of the whole strategic narrative, which is a term I've now coined <laughs> from Alex Packham, like setting the business up to get acquired by the right fund in three to five years. And I, and I thought having the right investors who've got certain track records, like ones I just mentioned, is like, kind of social proof in a way mm-hmm. it's social proof yeah. not to customers but an to an acquirer or another investor I think um, I've honestly we've only I've only well we've only just become smart to these new methods at the scale that we're at now yeah so we'd already embarked on the equity route because it's like also cash up front and it requires less work on your actual business model and finances which is not like yeah. our strongest suit but Jack's actually worked out most of it um so I think we're also discovering it. I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've thought equity was the way forward, but actually it's not for this kind of business. Tech business, different, different, different question. Yeah. But. Well, the, well, cash. There's, there's, there's two other points though. Cash. It, it all comes down to what you're using cash for. So if we're going to build our sales through essentially advanced cash flow, so a good cash conversion cycle, the cash we've got in the bank can be used on whatever we want it to be used on and if you're building a brand that you want to get if you're building a real brand you want to be acquired or you want to like become a national brand you're going to have to invest in things that take a long time to pay you back yeah. you can't always do everything direct response put a pound in get two pound back mm. um, and mm. it opens up opportunities to do that it also op- opens up opportunities um, like your team that you're building so it's e- we've always been pretty lean but 
the team you're building means much more than just like the efficiency of what you're doing right now. So you could you could like get more efficiency maybe hiring an agency to all your creative right now. However, building a team that that can develop and iterate on creative in-house, which is not as efficient now and will cost you cash up right now, could pay off in a year's or two years time by having this incredibly well-trained team of people who understand your brand and understand all the learnings of all the creative you've ever produced, um, yeah. like scaling with you. So you can't, you have to think short-term and long-term about all these decisions and the cash equity gives you gives the you ability that. to make those kind of decisions, which I think if you're building a real business, not like a drop, drop shipping thing that yeah, we discussed, agree. that, that is um, really helpful, really powerful. Yeah, so you just don't need equity funding for scaling marketing and inventory purchasing, basically. No. But you will need cash. For, for other yeah, companies. I guess so it comes down to the difference between like OPEX and CAPEX, which is something, only a term I learned like a month ago. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like stuff that's going to pay off long term. I and guess the better, way, the better way to put it then maybe is you don't need as much as you think. You, do, you might need some equity funding, but you don't need as much. Yeah, but, but, but the other thing is you need a bit to prove out your model and then get, get, the, get the financing. So... It's chicken and egg problem, like classic chicken egg problem, right? Yeah, like you've had, you, like, yeah. Um, this, that six months of data, you've got to, you've got to have some cash to start. I mean, yeah. I've, I've never the, the fully bootstrap model is brutal. I mean, it's slow. It's really slow, and um, yeah, you just, do you want to do things a bit faster? I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. So, so how how does the business look? day to day than now so I guess two sides I think firstly like customer acquisition which you mentioned during our drink top up break how does that look because that's probably the, the part of ecom D2C that is spoken about most certainly on like YouTube and shit obviously yep. we, we've covered some of the more in depth stuff as well sure you said you're running all the ads and you said yeah, you're using Triple World I have been who are now fucking sponsored by the way hey go, go check Triple World pick up Triple World yeah. yeah I check my Triple World more than Shopify now we yeah, are um yeah, so uh, so customer acquisition, like it's three. There's three parts for me. Well, well, first is a formula, right? So it's like your cost per click and your conversion rate, and it's like really, it's that simple. I'm working on those two, those two things for me. Um, it's like really simple. Um, stepping back a sec, it's like how do I best influence those things, uh, those two things, and it comes down to uh, channel number one like your channel you're using and how well it lines to your, to your customer. The second is the offer. For me, I think the offer is is the biggest lever most people don't pull. Um, and if I was advising anyone who's not struggling, even struggling with our customer acquisition but wants to supercharge it, I would tell them to start playing with offers like really hard and playing with offers that are custom built into landing pages direct to checkout. And then the third is creative. And I put them in that order because I do think they're um, in order of importance. Um, and you just got to constantly... It, the problems in front of you compared to other industries, I do not think are that big. Like if I compare the work in in those three areas compared to like other things I've worked on in the past, I the problems are not that difficult to solve. It takes just understanding what you're doing and massively iterating, having an iterative approach and creating like a foundation that you can move the dial on these, these three areas. Um, 
and that's that's been the secret to, to lowering CPA for us from 60 to 15. 60 to 15, wow. Yeah, from, from 60 to 15. And, and that is over only five months. And like, I think we can keep going down. I think we can get it down to seven or well, 10 and then, and, then, and then seven, six, five. I mean, and that really does transform the business. Um, Maybe say something about how yeah. people have not, how Facebook's changed. And people need to adapt. Just bring, just bring that mic in a little bit. Yeah, Facebook. I mean, Facebook. I mean, if you want media buying, Facebook's changed a lot, as we all know. Yeah. But I mean, I think a lot of the old, a lot of the agencies are using old tactics still and trying to hack the system. And it's really you've got to keep things really simple and focus on creative and broad audiences. Yeah. As like I'm sure everyone, oh, that's quite a common thing that people are saying, and like it's genuinely true. We found way more success with broad. Like when we used to have agencies doing our ad buying, I would always compete against them in either in the same ad account or a different ad account. I used to do that as well. And and like, yeah, it's like really satisfying. And and because so I unethical. I can jump I can jump on a call with them in a week and I, uh, every week, and they can like feed me all this bullshit, yeah. and I can be like, I'm spending three hours a week in here, and this is my CPA, and look at yours, and like, you're fired. Yeah, and uh, it's like that. That is quite powerful, I think, with agencies who do bullshit a lot. But all these agencies, there. How can you be an agency trying to run people's customer acquisition and not do creative? I I literally cannot understand that model anymore. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're not adding any value. Um, you you've got to do. You've got to. If you want to control the result, you have to control the creative and probably control the landing pages and the offers and all yeah, those things. Yeah, in- interesting to be fair. Because, yeah. yeah, I've worked with so many agencies over the years as well. I mean, I've spoken shit about a lot of them indirectly on here as well. The one I'm working with now I think is good. Um, but yeah, like, I'm still obviously doing, doing all the creative and like, the creative, yeah, five weeks in, but like, I, I never tested as much creative and produced as much creative with any other shit I'd done before than this. Yeah. And like the amount of creative getting tested, even at tiny scale now compared to where I want to be, it's just mad because like, and, and yeah, the creative is the biggest fucking variable. Yep. Oh. Creative is the biggest, for sure. And we, we're running, we're running three, I'm not, I'm generally not exaggerating here. We're running three to 500 creatives through our Facebook account a month. Yeah. And that and that, that, that that is that is genuinely the truth, and mm. um, and that's from and the first agency I found that, as I said, that that has beaten me, um, generally beaten me on the ad account, and it took them three months, and like we were patient, and like they they they've done it, and they're absolutely killing it. And are they produce? You, you say like agencies should control the creative. Yeah. Are they literally making the creative? Um, yeah, so we, we double team it. So they have a system. Have you heard of Kinship? Yes. So it's Taylor and of. Cody. Cody is the guy I tagged in that post that you that I said Definitely to, heard of should it. come on here. Oh, yeah. So they, they're, they're like doing well. American agency, they've got this in, like incredible model where they, they we pay for them to seed 500 influencers every month. Yeah. Those influencers, like 200 normally post, we get 100 pieces of creative... Uh, but each but each, 100 posts but each post is three stories normally so 300 pieces of creative and they iterate two or three versions of each creative like different beginnings and different yeah. hooks and that kind of thing mm-hmm. so we end up having like uh, broadly I think that's 600 500 600 creatives a month mm. 
And they've got a system through cost caps where they push all the creative into the ad account onto cost caps and they let Facebook find the best born creative. Yeah. And it, it's like, it's actually worked. It's actually worked. And it's like incredible. And it, and the CPA just keeps dropping. Is that literally the only creative you're running then? Like, like you no, so it. then our team, we've got a team internally that produces probably 30 to 40 like unique assets, like unique videos that are actually different with different hypotheses and stuff every month, yeah. which goes into the pile. And we try and compete against the influencer content. Yeah. And my view is always, I want to find our own creators that are on, like properly on brand. And if they can scale, which a lot of them do, then we're like serving, we're acquiring the customer and we're serving an on brand ad. But if we can find these like weird bits of creative, like that influencers create that are sh- sh- short and snappy that acquire customers for a good cost, great. Mm. Like, that's all going to help. And some of the weirdest bits of content win. It's, it's hilarious. Like the weirdest you can imagine. Yeah, I've noticed that. <laughs> like really sus, like TikTok videos that just yeah. don't make sense. We've got one, we've got one which is an image of a fridge that's empty. <laughs> that's like with a with a headline that's like... So it's, it's not even got the product in it. No. And it's doing like, it's doing like 14 pounds a day. I'm like, we're spending hours on creative every month. And yeah, it's maybe, always like that. The most simple shit fucking wins sometimes. Weird. So do you do all? Do you not outsource any? In terms of like freelancers, other agencies you're working with, are you pretty largely in house with everything. Yeah, we've got a creative team. We've got uh, one of my best mates from uni is an architect. We've converted him into like an e-com designer, and um, he like he's built a new website which is launching. He runs our creative studio. We've got like a one other person that does brand stuff like social media and that yeah. kind of thing, um, and also PR and a few other things. And then yeah, we're basically control freaks. Yeah. We have to do everything ourselves. And then ops Charlie runs like a very in-house team. Yeah, we are, as, as yeah, as you know, as we've spoken about. And your mum is is full time as well in the business. They're not full time, but a lot. They work a lot. So how how big is the internal team then? Eleven. Yeah, that's a lot of people to be fair. but we think we've built that team like that is going to run for that's going to we're going to triple mm. on that team so we kind of set the foundation well that's 11 but that's including like four people in the factory yeah where most people would have overhead in in their gross margin um, like they would have a, a, a manufacturing cost per unit bill of X and we yeah to be fair it's interesting cause, because because like people ask me like how many people are in your team now I'm like I, f- I feel like it's just me but it's not just me because the supplier I work with is effectively an in-house R&D team yeah. like product dev and you could almost the amount I pay them is probably like equivalent of two full-time people on top of the actual product margin I'm just paying them and that's their margin instead of mine obviously like an agency I could probably hire two people for the cost of them I'm certainly one good person I've got nearly a full-time creative person he's like technically freelance but we've worked together for years so he's basically full-time there's a customer service person who's working for free right now who actually he's actually found me from the podcast he's a podcast oh, fan serious. so Why Florian, if you're watching free? this shit he was like please let me work for you for free Shut up. i was like well let's do it for a month i'll pay after that That's but he's like i want to learn and shit i was like fuck what it i respect great, it what a great attitude yeah 100 percent. so and, and yeah you, you will have you got any else we've got three people in the philippines as well 
So I used to have 40 in the Philippines. Wow. <laughs> I, I yeah. will do soon. Um, actually, maybe I won't do soon. I'm not opposed to the Philippines. I think it's a great place to get like process-driven yep. people. Um, yeah, customer We service found a great primarily. customer service person like, who's really good. Really good. Yeah, I've had some really good ones. But like, I, I guess my point is, yeah, like I say, oh, it's just me. But actually, if I took all the costs away from everything that I'm outsourcing, I could probably have like five or six people in a room full time. So do, do you outsource um, media buying creative at all? So creative, I've, I've spent like the past month nailing what I think is a creative system. And nice. And I, I'm, I think it's pretty solid to be fair. <laughs> so I, I never got this right in the past. <laughs> I always slept on it. So the way it works essentially, I have a bunch of different like raw assets that are like go into the system. I have my guy, Brad, who's a fucking wizard. He did that 80s video. He yeah, that really over good. like two weeks. And like, he loved every second Love of it. Idea. So yeah, he's a fucking G. Um, he then repurposes shit specifically for ads. You know, like adding text, whatever, like chopping it up, all that shit. And then it, then it goes to the to the media buyers, the agency, who then obviously test a load of shit and pretty much feedback on a daily basis, what's working, what's not. And then nice. I basically cycle it back in. But I suppose like, that's good the workload Perfect. the heavy workload bit particularly in the start has been like I'm literally coordinating with like UGC creators because mm-hmm. I had so many agencies trying to pitch me on £400 a video mm-hmm. and plenty of them are watching that's way too fucking expensive yeah, yeah. I can go to a creator and pay 60 quid which by the way I still think is relatively expensive for, for a video that takes 10 minutes to make because mm-hmm. I've done them myself and they take 10 minutes um, but it is what it is so I've got a bunch of UGC model, yeah. I've got a bunch of studio people so like I've got a guy that does like proper beautiful macro photography that sort of shit which actually doesn't always perform as well as UGC but it still looks good for like the website mm-hmm. and then I have like other stuff that's kind of on top of that like stuff can, we just test can I just tell um, what's worked really well or starting to work really well for us with creative you just want like lots of different influx of sources mm. like coming from different places we've now got three influencers who are like on the books very low ret- retainer yeah like 300 quid a month or something and they're just pumping out, like off their own accord, so much creative for us. Yeah, that runs through ads and organic, and it's really nice because, like, without having to think too much, mm. you've just got this influx. There's things you can test. Yeah, you've got your process that you're running, which sounds really good. I love the sound of that. Um, like more scripted stuff and like thought about create like where you're actually doing a creative strategy job. Yeah, oh, I mean, to cool. be fair, that's great. I haven't given any briefs to any UGC people yet. It's only today I wrote a brief up based on the first month of day. Was it scripted? Not scripted. It was just Broad. try and do this. Because, for example, one weird thing I noticed, and this is kind of niche, but every UGC person, and I mean every single one, was calling the product Space Goods, not Rainbow Dust. Like little things like that. Yeah. The brand name and product name are not the same thing. <laughs> so like, it doesn't really matter that much, but I imagine that will affect like conversion rates. They go on the landing page and it's like Rainbow yeah. Dust, what the fuck is this? So like, little you things testing like, that. like different angles and stuff? Yeah, so many different things. So like, and again, I was writing this out today, like us versus coffee, like naughty psychedelic imitation, Right, like unlock your best self, blah blah blah. Like right, the whole right, price right. angle, like the whole all-in-one angle instead of fifty. Yeah. Does, does it give you so a, a, a physical lift? Does the product yeah, actually 100%. give you a physical reaction? Yeah. Like what? Like caffeine? It's or got like a bit. What? So it's got a bit of caffeine in it, which is one thing I've learned that a lot of people don't like or have not bought it. Well, people that have commented saying I would buy this if it was caffeine-free because I like the other ingredients. 
Are you right. going to do a caffeine-free version? I'm going to have to now. <laughs> so I, I just made it for me. So without the caffeine, is there something without else? Without the caffeine. Stimulant or- yeah, so there's three different mm-hmm. mushrooms in it. There's ashwagandha, there's maca root, there's rhodiola rosea and vitamin B5. So it's basically a bunch of nootropics and mushrooms. And you feel it. But very, very high dosages compared to most shit. Because nice. so it potent. actually gives you an effect. It's kind of like the Red Bull gives you wings type. type, type yeah, so, type so, so the whole angle, the whole me. angle initially, and it is fundamentally the angle, is... It's illegal my, psychedelic microdose imitation. Yeah. Because so what angles have been the, what what angles adwise have been working? What's been working most is replace coffee. Really, to, to be honest, it's, really? the, it's the most obvious boring one I didn't want to do. It's what, mud, it's what mud water do, and I didn't want to do it. I wanted no. to play on the whole. I, I, I guess the broader angle on top of that is unlock your best creative self. Like it's, it's well, that's what like the headline brand, brand message. Like the headline brand message is. Yeah. We are four creatives. Like, do create better shit. Mm-hmm. Unlock your best self. That's what it's all about. Mm. That's the whole like ethos. And how did you make the product? How did I make it? Yeah. How did you come up with the formula? Literally, just I had taken similar stuff. I bought a load of competitor stuff. I I, I didn't fucking. I wasn't a scientist. You know what I mean? Freestyled it. Yeah. And then I just reverse engineered. I was like, well, nice. that, that's good. That's good. I I literally just I was a lab rat for like six months on myself. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Yes. and given it's a version one product I actually think it came out fucking well and it tastes amazing too yeah I'm gonna try some yeah I'll try some, yeah, I'll buy some the only this. thing I personally don't like about it and it's my own product is it's like 29 calories per serving and the oh. reason not that it's like fatty or anything but I I do I just fast every day until like 2pm so technically it breaks a fast yeah and some people are funny about that particularly people buying premium supplement products that's yeah. with the mind they're yeah. like well if it breaks my fast, I can't take it. So have you heard that in the feedback as yeah, well? Yeah. So that's all start. I mean, if you can push that into V2, that, that feedback. So I'm already working on a V2 of that. Yeah, and like a fruit version, which is a bit of a different. And how are, you setting up, how are you setting up, um, I think a lot of people don't talk to their customers. How are you getting that feedback? So a lot of it's, because my, my fucking email yeah. and, my, and my Instagram and Twitter are on the packaging. So yes. that, that's, that's the first thing in the bottom left. That's a really bad idea when we start scaling, but for now, <laughs> for now it's fine. So yeah. that, that's probably the most prominent feedback source. Yeah. There's a card that comes with the order that also has my email on it. Nice. Encouraging people to give feedback. That's really smart. So th- that's actually the main thing. Other than that, that's really basic smart. shit like hot jar exit surveys. Yeah. I've got a type form set up in Clavio, all that sort of shit. Yeah. But I think the direct response where someone's gone out of their way and obviously just comments and shit. Can I say one of the biggest things we did was um, a big customer feedback exercise where we like we did qualitative quantitative like interviews and yeah. surveys and got a whole bunch of feedback on the v1 of the product and it was it, it actually transformed mm. the marketing as well because mm. we we got like we understood why people were loving the product mm. and then we started we using all the feedback as angles and ads and then the feedback the feedback that came up most is the best performing angle by far and one we never expected. So just like, yeah. it's a powerful also, thing to do. Also, someone told us not to go down that route because they basically said, P&G and Unilever spend billions a year on scent. Yeah. Don't compete on scent. Yeah. And guess what? We're, all about, we're competing on scent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's what people care about. Single, single but it's what people like, yeah. You know, does it work? Does it smell good? Two main things. Yeah. And then simplifying your routine is another massive. Well, that's the one yeah. that's worked best, and we never thought it would, because um, our product's one for it's one product 
thinking your whole home with the view that the multinationals have basically released seven or eight versions of the same product in order to increase basket value of their customers. Yeah, like, here's a glass cleaner, here's a wood cleaner, here's a stainless yeah. steel cleaner, here's a mold service, here's a bathroom, here's a lime scale, here's an enamel and taps, here's a window. It's like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> but also, that, that yeah. was why I, I made that an all-in-one because I couldn't get my head around it. One of the competitors that you mentioned earlier, I'm not going to say, they offer, and I still don't get it, they offer four different powders and then they also offer all four in one where's the logic in that i don't get it like surely yeah. just offer the fucking all in one yeah why would you why would otherwise you why would you sell the other four for sure and that's all that's all commercial it's not actually yeah. for the customer yeah hmm. i just don't get it so i always just build shit for me with i mean at least that's what i've tried to do it's another obvious thing people say a lot but i think it's true um, those early customers, you've got them now, they respond to the email being like, please can I survey you? Like we spend 10 <laughs> minutes like filling out boring questions. Like yeah, for most respond. people, not for us obviously, but for most people, um, they'll do it. Mm. And they'll sit on the phone for half an hour and they'll do yeah. it for 50 quid of free product. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So they're, they're a massive resource. And we've got, Charlotte was in customer research as a career before this. So she... She has a full process and knows how to actually extract information from people and actually quantify it, which is amazing. But ultimately, even even chatting, even calling, you know, you get numbers on Shopify, even calling people for 10 minutes, like they're like, oh my God, the founder of the company's called me. They'll love it. I just start doing that, to be fair. I've done it a few times in the past. It's a weird thing that we all put off. Uh, Mm. It consistently is the thing that I think people don't do enough is talk to their customers. And, I don't. I don't know. Well, now I've had this experience. I can. I can. Mm. I can see why everyone who's done well says it all the time. Yeah. And, and, and you like hear it. You're like, yeah, okay. And then it kind of goes in one ear, out the other, and you're like, they can't tell me anything. Do you know what I think? Partly that is the reason for that is because at least my experience in a lot of e-commerce. I think other people would say the same. Is particularly when you you can start shit like from your bedroom, you forget that these numbers on a screen are real people. Whereas if you were running, I don't know, a fucking cafe or something, you'd yeah. by default be speaking to your customers. All the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like everything's become so... Completely. Oh, we can be remote, blah, blah, blah. I can, everything's online. I don't have to fucking speak to anyone. Then you forget that they are real people. Well, we've got a weird thing, which is that our customers are so forthcoming with feedback that the reviews tell us very quickly if something's gone wrong. Mm. So we noticed like in the last year, like two or three things have happened as it happens in every business. And we're like that's an issue because I've seen it five times in the last three days because we have like 20 people reviewing a day yeah at the moment 10% of our customers review on Trustpilot yeah yeah that's like, the really powerful that's one that's crazy I've probably written two reviews in my life we can't really understand yeah. why though we've never we've never understood why do you even why. send an email request we send, the, yeah. we send the automatic email Trustpilot yeah, yeah. does but everyone does but that but 10% like it's, it's such a high number that we're like why is that happening? It's not even it our, might be our... We're not doing anything. We're not geniuses. Maybe our, maybe our, our customer demographic... I actually think that's another thing with startups that the personal story and the kind of... With us, it's like a family business yeah. pitch and it's very personal. People really engage with that. I, don't, yeah. I didn't appreciate how much why. they do. I think it's the, the, the demographic of the age yeah, demographic I'll, and um, yeah, I think pe- people care. I think that group of people people care more I'd say what we haven't done well yet and what I, I want to focus on soon is like using your social proof uh, as effectively as possible throughout mm. your site 
it's actually really difficult to weave it in in like a smart way and we haven't done it well enough yet I think even just like I'm using the fucking shitty Luke's review app just pictures yep. of cunts holding that not cunts <laughs> <few of> <laughs> your lovely customers like, that you love and appreciate I think I'm on there as well <laughs> yeah I, th- um, I definitely think that is powerful especially for a new brand when yep. it's like people think is this a scam whatever like building that trust yep. pile and stuff it's interesting you say about like the the background like having the whole family story and stuff because like obviously I've kind of like built this brand in public for like six months whatever on like Twitter and I do not want the brand to be about me because that's a terrible idea long term but well because maybe it's not but I just I don't think it's as scalable if it's about me because anyone that doesn't like the fact that I'm a fucking young white male basically (laughs) Tesla's pretty scalable then well yeah. I mean, that, their marketing strategy is surely maybe is, I'm must Twitter yeah, I, 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 think just, I just have this can... idea that it's not exitable if it's about me basically nah. Joe Malone huh Joe Malone yeah well yeah literally it's not called Matthew oh. Kelly is it so no. I guess we're one step away from that but I think ha- having that story to an extent like at least in the start helps because like yeah most big brands have some sort of founder story even if it's like partially made up we're not even st- it's it's a re uh, I think the story is just a means to understand why mm. why the brand yeah. exists it's a narrative and and, and, and we, like yeah we've all read like, probably we've all read Sapiens but like mm. that kind of thing about humans understanding stories intuitively and I think I've, I've looked at your, all your stuff you're doing and there is a clear purpose there's a clear purpose behind it that will be the same. That will be the same as a founder story from a garage, a family business from a garage. Yeah. Uh, ours ties in because it's like family business, non-toxic products in your home, don't let your kids breathe in non-toxic color. It all kind of works together. We did actually start in a garage as well. And we did start in a garage. <laughs> but, but, but the point is that like, it, it, can be, it, it can take many different forms. I think what you're doing well is you're building much more than just a direct response. Like mm. I can acquire a customer for X pounds and get this much back. It's, why are people actually engaged in the brand which is not uh, what not most people don't do and what's going to build real value yeah because I I just saw particularly like supplements based at least in my opinion there's a lot of like very faceless cold like almost like medicinal brands and I just mm-hmm. wanted to have fun with it which is why like, I did the whole like 80s video and shit which obviously doesn't convert on fucking ads no. but it's on the website if people go and have a look like yeah, no great. brand that goes to the effort to make that isn't excited about their own brand do you know we, what I mean we funded yeah. Feel at, at Feel at Feel huh yeah Feel we are Feel oh yeah we funded them what do you mean we funded them at Feel when I was at Feel Ventures oh you were at Feel Ventures yeah I fucking spoke to them did you yeah well cool I can interview off, off the record yeah Alex Packham who came on the pod who's one of my investors they funded one of his rounds or they were involved which in one? his rounds which one like Series A Content Care Content Cow. He, he sold Content Cow. Yeah. He's been on the pod. They, were, they sold to Adobe. Yeah, for yeah. a bit, a lot of money. I was yeah. there when we brought Content Cow in. Yeah. Oh, man. Fucking small world. <laughs> so small. <laughs> it's such a small world. Yeah, he's a beast. He's like kind of, he's like formally sort of mentoring me now um, as an investor as well. That's but, cool. Yeah. He helps a lot. Shout out, Alex. Go, go watch the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck. Yeah, um, did we wrap up that point? Okay. I, I want to come on to like your... Do you have like a clear plan for what you want to do with the business, and and is there like a an end goal? 
I have absolutely no plan. Really? Jack has more of a plan than me. <laughs> but do you have an exit He's the plan? I have no life plan. He's the philosopher. Except I need to earn some, I need to earn a shitload of money. That's what I know. <laughs> Get rich or die trying. Uh, no, the plan, well, the plan, the plan is um, scale, counter clean, uh, launch new categories, laundry, and then dishes, scale internationally, launch retail. That's the plan to build to 50 million broadly. Yeah. So 3 million this year, 10 million the year after, and then hopefully 30 million the year after that. And that's broadly the three things we're going to do. Category, new product categories, international retail. And then the broader plan is we've got another business called Ruben Bros, which is me and Charlie's personal business, which is kind of partly owns the factory. And we're going to build that alongside as Perlin Figs, a big client. And other we've got other brands that are clients as well that we do filling for and build a manufacturing company. And then spin that use that manufacturing company that can produce hopefully a wide range of stuff to use our knowledge from this business to build as many high margin direct consumer companies as possible as one group sick yeah. why why would you no? not focus on one because I find it such an interesting mm. debate well, we are focusing on Purdy and Fig for the next like period of time but, but, but would you do that after you sold it or are you talking like in the immediate yeah, future? Yeah, oh, that's after we sold it. After we sold it. Okay. Yeah, it's like a 30 year plan. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> that's a long, I'm talking like three, five year plan. No, three, five year plans per fig. It's, it's the 50 million per fig plan. Yeah. 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 And sell it when you get to 50 mil rev. Well, most companies sell, I mean, the higher your revenues, like if you look at a chart of acquisitions, it's like past the 10 million mark on revenue in direct consumer services. Yeah like that's where every, every acquisition is and then if you move past 30 million it's like the 80-20 rule yeah. so 80, 80% are like past that so if you're trying to sell you've got to be thinking really as a kind of just as a like, rule of logic like past 30 million and, and definitely past 10 like you're not gonna you're not gonna sell really for a meaningful amount under 10 million in revenue so yeah. build a profitable business if it's gonna be under 10 and take dividends and build another business after that. Right. Hmm. Not bad advice. Yeah, I agree. I read so much about acquisitions <laughs> and I've had lots of advice from one guy in particular, um, Jimmy, who's also on the pod, who did sell his business Hairburst way past Hairburst. 30 million. Nice. Um, I, I can't comment on the acquisition amount, but the revenue is way past that. I think he told me. I think he officially told me that. I've already said that. Um, but yeah, I mean that was big. So what, what, what was your what was your advice about acquisitions? What was like his Similar advice? To what to you, you said in, in terms Similar. of, and I've read I've read about this elsewhere as well. Other people were like, you know, if you want to get a revenue multiple, which is where you, you know you can potentially make a hundred mil, you need to be past thirty mil. Yeah. yeah, that's when like a big buyer will come in. Yeah, and they're not going to pay any bit down multiple. They're right. going to fucking pay revenue multiple potentially. No. If you're the next big thing doing thirty mil. And you want to sell at the right time as well. Because you read about this all the time. People thought they could get more. And then, you know, you have well, a bad the kind of, I know, My friend, um, well, yeah, my friend um, sold Luxie hair. Alex Icon. Oh, yeah. Do you know him? I think it rings a bell. I, I, I don't personally um, know. But like, Alex, like, like, Luxie hair was one of the great e-com stories. It's conversion rates, like one of the best conversion rates around. And mm-hmm. he sold for like 100 mil. And that was... That was just a pro, that's like, that. there are so many buyers, that was pro-equity. It was just like, we can take this business, improve the margin and roll into retail. Let's do yeah. it. 
so there's all that I mean everyone we're thinking yeah, obviously you loved the idea of Unilever P&G or whatever buying your business because it's like that's on the front page of BBC News but you're more likely going to be bought out by pro, a pro equity company Shield Ventures True Capital all these Piper or so many of them yeah I've, I've actually got a spreadsheet I made with about 300 potential buyers which I made before I launched the business nice yeah, that's good it's really the wrong way to think about it maybe but oh yeah, yeah people say that Start at the end. we got asked an investor meeting the other day we got asked um What's your exit plan? I've also got a, an actual spreadsheet of scenario planning. <laughs> I like my equity, my, my numbers, mm. the numbers we need to hit to be our X, Y, Z valuation. Oh, that's good. I think that's preparation, basically. Yeah, but you know. that's just come from like... Have you got no plan? Getting it wrong I've got in no the past plan, well. I'm not prepared, so you're going to be much more successful than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you even equity, both of you? Yeah. And then the thirty-year plan, build that fucking massive brand, the plan and be the next Unilever. Yeah, that's that is. Yeah, long term for sure, yeah. for sure. Well, once you've done this, once also you realise like it's a, it's definitely a long-term game. Once, yeah, once you've started to do it and understand it, it's all the values at the end. So, like the idea of of stopping anywhere near like the first 10, 15 years. You're 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 removing all the value from what you're doing because it's like you get so much better that last fifteen years you're gonna make three times the amount you made in the first or more probably ten ten x yeah. times so exponential exactly yeah everything's compounding yeah right I, I want to wrap up with one final question that I've now started asking everyone it's so fucking cliche but maybe you can share the answers if you give, give three bits of advice to your eighteen year old self knowing what you know now oh god. In life and business, but I guess maybe more relevantly, kind of business geared. What would it be? Give th- give three between you. And you have to think on the spot. Trust your gut. Trust your gut. Always trust your gut. The amount of times I haven't, I've, I've had a feeling and then I haven't done, gone with that, and then I've thought, you fucking, that was the right answer. You knew it. You, you should have done that. Mm. Not so many times I can't count. So trust your gut. Definitely. Um, act quickly quickly don't hang around is that number two don't think too hard don't it's kind of like yeah it's a common yeah i guess it is number two it's like don't think too much about things basically yeah we'll get shit done kind of thing it's more yeah not just like for the sake of it sort of oh let me sort of color 17 cells on an excel thing but (laughs) but like but i don't overthink it's very easy to overthink decisions yeah the truth is if you make a mistake it doesn't actually there's very 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 few mistakes that are gonna you can't rectify especially if it's like the Amazon double door decision Mm. if it's a decision you can you can reverse out of from just make it if it's it's a decision that takes longer then don't what were the two that was so you've got um, trust your gut trust your gut make decisions yeah don't overthink it yeah you've got to give a third don't overthink it um I'm trying to think about what I was like at 18. Um, Use triple wire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nah. yeah, I don't really, I don't actually have one that I can, that I'm going to be proud of. So. Shower more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get in shape when you're 18. Stay in shape. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, sorry. Invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> That's probably a good one to be fair. Yeah. Probably is. What's been the best answer to that question so far? Oh, Christ, I don't know. I've forgotten. <laughs> it's, it's all on the spot. People wing it. You have to go watch every other 37 episode. Um, I, I guess with that said, we'll wrap the episode up. Jack, Charlie, it's been a pleasure. Um, this was an interesting episode. I mean, every fucking episode is interesting. They're always crackers. Nice. They crescendo to a nice ending always. 
Um, probably the first episode we've actually not spoken about like girls and shit. <laughs> but we'll let that slide for another time. We don't know any girls, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Um, as usual, if, if you're watching the pod, subscribe, leave a comment with your thoughts, recommend to a friend, and we'll see you in the next episode. Cheers for watching. Peace.